we started a, our series in Ecclesiastes. We began in this unique and strange book, the book that most of the commentators I have read have said that this is the most difficult book in all of the Bible to preach. And uh, I'm not sure if that's hyperbole, although my experience is becoming very quickly, this is the most difficult book in the Bible to preach. Uh, But it is a book in the Bible. It is God's word. And it is truth that we can be encouraged by truth, that we can be convicted by truth, that we can experience faith, truth where we can draw near to God. It is truth. And so it is truth that we are going to explore. Now, there is, there is much debate about the author of Ecclesiastes, whether or not Solomon is the author, or is it someone representing Solomon or someone giving a history of Solomon's life? It, it could be any of those things. There's no real clarity. And so we're just going to proceed on with, we're not sure. Um, the The person who writes the book of Ecclesiastes identifies themselves as the preacher, or in the Hebrew, Kohelet. Well, I said Kohelet a lot last week, and so um, my tongue was tired of saying Kohelet last week. So I'm going to use the preacher this week, and and simply because that's how it reads in Scripture. And um, I think it's, it's great to do that. And so this is wisdom literature. The preacher has given us wisdom literature. And whether Solomon or not, the the experiences that the preacher writes about in Ecclesiastes, they are there, they are used to provide us with a warning. And that is what I hope we're able to take away, not just with a warning, but there's and there's more, but with this warning about how meaningless life is apart from God. And the preacher describes life apart from God again and again and again in Ecclesiastes with a certain phrase. He says, life under the sun. That's how he describes life apart from God. Life under the sun. So through the the preacher's wisdom, we, we will learn in Ecclesiastes that finding satisfaction in anything other than God is meaningless. Or as we see here in verse 2 of chapter 1, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now in scripture, you know that when there is a repetition, it is, there's an emphasis. So Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Or Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you. And so here, God is speaking in Ecclesiastes, and this is coming out. Vanity or meaningless, of meaninglessness, says the preacher. Meaninglessness of meaninglessness, all is meaningless. All is vanity. All is empty. All is but a vapor and a breath of life. Now, the preacher is not giving an academic lecture here. He is a a man who speaks with genuine feelings as he shares the reality of his life 
experiences his life story. He, he takes us into the depths of his despair. He takes us into the heights of his pleasure. He takes us into his emptiness. He takes us into his pessimism and his cynicism. And he takes us into the weariness of his life. This is the preacher who is speaking to us. This is the preacher who is describing what life is like apart from God. Life under the sun that will leave us empty. Now, before you get the idea that he's speaking to an unbelieving world, Ecclesiastes was written and spoken and in oral as it was given orally, it was to the people of God. If you remember in John chapter 7, Jesus enters Jerusalem and he's going to the Feast of the Tabernacle, a a celebratory time when the the Israelites were in booths and and it was a time of harvest and God provided for them. And the the Feast of Tabernacles was this wonderful time together. And and each year the, the nation of Israel would go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be packed and they would celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. Well, on the third day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the book of Ecclesiastes was read to the people. And it was read to remind and to warn and to encourage. So it's not an academic lecture. It is is telling us, it is warning us what life will be like for the people of God who live life apart from God. And that's not a contradiction. It's not an oxymoron. Well, what do you mean live life apart from God if I'm part of the people of God? Well, it's very clear. We can live life. We can be professed Christians. But functionally, we can at times live as atheists. We We can look at life with despair as though God is not in existence. And so this wonderful storyteller, this preacher who's giving us his life story is explained to us, let me show you what life is like apart from God, what life is like under the sun. A life that is, when we live it under the sun, a roller coaster that we are up with pleasure one moment and we are down with despair the next. It is, it is vanity. It is meaningless if we live like that under the sun. And he comes to, as we will see later on in the book, his final conclusion that it all is meaningless because at the end, everybody dies. That we do all this We accumulate all this. We chase after all of this. We gather all this together. We have these pleasures. We have these sufferings, ups and downs. And at the end, it doesn't really matter because we all die. That is what he is saying when he thinks about life. Life is meaningless to the preacher. Now I got on Google the other day and I asked, what is the meaning of life? (laughs) 
So <laughs> I'm just going to give you two. From the Beatles, Oblada, Oblada, life goes on. <laughs> and then this is my favorite. What is the meaning of life? All evidence points to chocolate. <laughs> Last week, I, I gave you an illustration. I was, and, and I'm going to do it again because a number of you were not here. If you haven't listened to last week's message, please let me encourage you to do so. Uh, but I was driving to Georgetown, taking my daughter to Georgetown University in rush hour traffic a, a, a month ago. And I was just seeing as we were driving along, well, we weren't driving, we were crawling. As we were crawling along, inching our way uh, up the Cabin John Parkway to Georgetown, I'm looking around and I'm seeing just what people are doing in their cars. And for the most part, they were frustrated and impatient and angry and on their cell phones and putting on makeup and do, and they were just, it was just, this was life on the road. And just a week after that, I flew into DC. I was gone at a, at a pastor's college class and I flew into DC in, in the early afternoon. It was a beautiful day and I came right up the Potomac River, right over the same road, the Cabin John Parkway that I had just been driving on. And life was serene and life was perfect. There was no traffic. Um, we just went over and, and landed. And, 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 that's, and that's how I, I, I see Ecclesiastes. Life under the sun is life on the road. Seeing life from the road. That is, that is the preacher's view from the road. He sees life from the road. He sees the frustration. He sees the emptiness. He sees the just going. I mean, these people, it's not just this was one day that they were going downtown in rush hour traffic. This is just every day, year after year. The cycle of life. And that is their view from the road. That is their life under the sun. And, and here in Ecclesiastes, let us read in, in verse 1 through verse 11 our passage for this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. 
There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray. Father, you are the author of this book. You are the one who inspired this book by your Spirit. And it is in this book, these words, that we can encounter you today. That we can meet with you today. That we can learn from you today. We can learn about you And you can teach us about ourselves. And it is through these inspired words that we can receive a fresh view from above the sun of who our God is. And so we ask, I ask that you would do that today for this church. Lord, may each person here receive from you an encouraging word, a timely word, a hopeful word. And help me, Lord, to speak with clarity your words. In Christ's name, amen. With this view from the road, this life under the sun, the The preacher believes there's nothing he can gain in life. Verse 3 is really the the centerpiece, the heart of this passage. Read with me verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It's a rhetorical question. What does man gain? And in his... He's just told us in verse 2 what man gains. He says, vanity of vanities... All is vanity. In other words, it's meaningless. What is the gain I get from all the toil under the sun? What is this gain that I, I gain nothing? That's his view of life. That's his perspective. Seeking after profit. Seeking after gain. And this word gain is... It, It's used, I think, nine times in Ecclesiastes, and it's the only place in the Old Testament where it is used. It it denotes profit, something like a marketplace profit. And so he's saying, what am I going to profit from all my toil in this empty, meaningless life? What am I going to gain? Because I'm I'm saying I'm not going to get anything out of it. He's only wondering, how, how is this going to fulfill me? How is this going to meet my needs in life? And ultimately, he ends up in discovering that there is no real gain in life from his view under the sun, from his view from the road. Remember, he's viewing life from the road. And life from the road, life under the sun, is a life viewed apart from God. It is... Someone with professed belief in God, but in many respects a functional atheism. That is what he's communicating here. That there is no real gain. And Jesus makes the same claim in Matthew 16. A similar claim in chapter 16 verse 26. Jesus says this, 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Here, Jesus explains that a man who has gained everything has profited nothing. In fact, he actually loses what is most precious, his own soul. Now, this, these first 11 verses are the prologue. They are, they, it's a poem. Um, there are commentators banter back and forth whether or not it is the preacher himself speaking in the prologue or there's a narrator who also speaks at the end because this is in the third person and the last verses of chapter 12 are in the third person and then the preacher in, in verse 12, I the preacher, so he begins in the first person. So there's all this bantering back and forth. Who's speaking in these first 11 verses? Um, it's somebody. <laughs> and it is someone giving us a view of life under the sun, a synopsis of life apart from God. It is a chasing after profit, which has turned out to be like trying to, to grasp air. <laughs> you get nowhere. You get nowhere. And so my proposition this morning is this. Our work in this life is not meaningless if it is done with Christ in view. You see, in, in the preacher's view, it's from under the sun. It is without God in view. My proposition is this. Our work in this life is not meaningless if it is done with Christ in view. And my two main points, the first one that we're going to go through is the weariness of toil under the sun. And my second point is the satisfaction of laboring for Christ. And then we'll make our way to what is the application of a passage like this for our lives. So point number one, the weariness of toil under the sun. Again, verse three is the centerpiece of the passage. This is the preacher's ultimate conclusion about life. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A rhetorical question that he is answering, and he's going to answer it. He's answering it by, by these next coming verses, but he's answered it already in verse 2 because he said with his motto, and this is sort of the motto of Ecclesiastes. Here's the motto of Ecclesiastes. People love mottos. All right? This is the motto of Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. All is meaningless. That is the preacher's life motto. And so then he goes, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Like everyone, the preacher lives under the curse of the fall. Here in verse 3, what does man? That word man in Hebrew is actually the word Adam, which takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember your Old Testament stories, Genesis chapter 3, in verse 17, the fall has just happened and God is speaking and he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed 
is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That helps us understand right here in verse 3 why toil is so meaningless. It's cursed. Why it's so hard under the sun. Because the preacher lives in a broken world. He lives in a world that is broken and ravaged by sin. And it is under the curse And even as those redeemed in Christ, we still live in a cursed and broken world ravaged by sin. We still experience some of the consequences. And thankfully, we've been delivered from the ultimate curse, which is death. Christ has delivered us from that ultimate curse. But we still practically live under the sun. You and I... Every day, live under the sun. It's whether or not our view is living under the sun. We practically live under the sun, but where's our view? Where are we looking? And we do experience some of the consequences of the fall. So in verse 4 through 7, to prove his point in the first half of the poem, the preacher gives examples of life under the sun from creation and the natural world that he sees as meaningless. And then from the second half of this poem, he gives us human examples that he sees as meaningless. Verse 4, a generation goes... And a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. As one, (laughs) generations come and go. As one generation rises, another one is dying off. Listen, it was just a few days ago that I was 30 years old. (laughs) And now I wake up and I'm 62. How I lost those 32 years in two days, I will never know. But a generation comes and a generation goes and it goes fast. Soon the younger generation here will be the older generation. Much sooner than this younger generation realizes. You will be the older. You will be me. If that doesn't scare you, I don't know what does. (laughs) And regardless of what generation you're in, there's always a generation gap. Now, listen to this. Children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, and they show disrespect to their elders. Do you know who said that? Socrates. (laughs) What has changed? Not much. A generation comes and a generation goes. Philip Ryken in his commentary says, The rise of each generation gives the impression that something actually is happening, but nothing really is. The world is a very repetitive place. Nothing ever changes. So what profit is there? What do we gain? He's speaking from the view of the preacher. Now, St. Jerome goes on to say this, What is more vain than this vanity? 
that the earth, which was made for humans, stays, but humans themselves, the lords of the earth, suddenly dissolve into dust. Generations come and generations go. That is the preacher's view. And then in verse 5, he uses another illustration of the same principle. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. It's another illustration of this principle. Even the daily journey of the sun seems meaningless. It seems pointless. Around and around it goes without actually ending up anywhere but in the same place that it started each day. And even the sun gets weary according to the preacher. In verse 5, the sun goes down and hastens. That word hastens actually means pants. (sighs) The sun hastens and pants to get to its place. That's the preacher's view of how the sun works. It pants. It wearies to get to it where it's supposed to be. And as believers in God, we are to find encouragement in creation. But not the preacher. He only finds futility in creation. Look at verse 6. He goes on. The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. Now, for those of you who are weather people, you're thinking, wait a minute. The wind usually blows east to west, or west, the jet stream. And, and is this, is this raw? The, the preacher's giving, the sun goes from the east to the west, and the wind blows north to south. He's saying, look, the whole world is encompassed by this meaninglessness. The whole world is encompassed by this emptiness. The wind does the same thing. It fails to accomplish anything more than the sun. For all the wind's constant movement, It never makes any progress. It never makes any progress. The sun, the wind. Now in verse 7, the water. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The flow of the water seems just as profitless just as meaningless as the sun hastening on its circular route, as the wind blowing on its route, the water. Now, maybe most likely he's thinking of the Dead Sea here where water flows in but never fills the sea and nothing ever flows out of the Dead Sea. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. It just keeps going and going and going and there's no fullness ever to this. It's just the same again, the same thing. Now, it's not just the natural world that the preacher believes provides no gain in life, but also his own personal experience. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The accumulation of things, money, fame, power, toys, 
great toys are full of weariness. His, his toil leaves him so bone tired that he wearily falls into bed mumbling. This is, he says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. You know that feeling when at the end of the day you're so exhausted that you just, you just mutter and you fall into bed. That's, that's what he's talking about here. That's the picture here. He's bone tired and nothing satisfies him. Nothing. And he warns uh, that we can be the same way. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. That's just, even all that is available today, says the preacher, that our eyes and our ears are never satisfied. Now think about that. TV, iPhones, iPads, computers, texting, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even that old-fashioned thing called email are things we never get enough of. That our eyes are, and our ears are never satisfied. Go into a restaurant and see how many people are actually having a face-to-face conversation. Or how many are like this? The ears are, eyes are never satisfied. A few years ago, Marilyn and I were in London and we were trying to get directions to this store we needed to get to. And everybody on the street, literally everybody on the street had an iPhone or an iPod or some electronic device with earphones in. And we're trying to stop people to get directions. And people just walk by like we don't exist. And so finally I just walked up to one guy and I pulled the earphones out of his ears and said, where do I go? Of course, I'm an over-the-top American and that's what over-the-top Americans do. It is the world we live in. Never hearing enough, never seeing enough. What do you think the average viewership of TV is on a daily basis? Over eight hours a day. With his under the sun view of nature and his personal experience, the preacher laments here. He, he laments, if the sun and the wind and the mighty rivers have nothing to show for their toil, then what hope does he ever have of accomplishing anything? Why, why get up in the morning? Why get up? And in fact, it makes him weary to think about it. All things are full of weariness. And then in verse 9, he, he, keep, he just keeps going on. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Think of human history here and how it just constantly repeats itself. There's nothing new under the sun. Humans are the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. The human heart has not changed in 2,000 years. And all the things that we think that we've invented, new ways. I mean, technology does move forward for sure. But the same need for communication still exists. 
You know, there's just nothing new under the sun. That's one of the ways I'm, I was so able to know when my kids were, were doing things wrong. Because they weren't doing anything I hadn't done. <laughs> and, I, and I could figure it out. Oh yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's just, there may be some new approaches to try and get things done their way. But yeah. no, dad knows. Because there's nothing new under the sun. And of course, with the technological advances, you know, like communication and transportation, you know, we look and say, oh, we are so advanced and we've, we've gotten so many things that are new. But those, but the needs haven't changed. Listen, the nature of man apart from Christ has never changed has never changed. This is what the preacher sees, not just in humanity, but in his own life. And the, the preacher's poem is about life's weary repetition, and it ends with this line in verse 11 of memory loss. <laughs> of memory loss. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor Will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after? How quickly people forget. When, we, when Marilyn and I moved here, we went back to Charlotte a little more than a year later. Hadn't been to the, the, the church on Sunday because I obviously have been here. And, uh, but we had a Sunday. We were able to go. We were there. We had just come back from vacation. So I went to church on Sunday and we're walking in the front door. And I'm greeted by this young couple who look at me and say, so is this your first time here? Are you new? I'd been there for 15 years as a pastor. I was totally forgotten. <laughs> There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things. I'm not going back. <laughs> it is historical amnesia. And the older we get, this generation that has come and you're going to be going and you're going to, you know, the younger generation, you're going to be older soon, you, we forget. We forget. I was talking to Marilyn the other day. We were in the bedroom. We were talking about something. She asked me a question. I answered the question. I walked out of the bedroom. And then she calls after me. What was your answer? <laughs> I have a friend who is very forgetful. He got out of the shower one day. And he said, I, I, I got out of the shower. And I started a towel dry off. And realized there was shampoo still in my hair. <laughs> we forget and we are forgotten. All of, and, and his point here is this. Listen, we, we can strive after building a legacy, building a name for ourselves. We can strive after being remembered and leaving our mark somewhere. You know, maybe someday they'll name an elementary school after me. L.J. Malament Elementary School. And then it will get old like this and eventually they'll tear it down and there will be no L.J. Malament Elementary School because, as the preacher says here, there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things. Now, maybe you can identify with the preacher. 
Maybe he's convinced you that there is no real gain for your hard work. And you're thinking, you know what? Larry, great message. I'm going home totally depressed. Um, (laughs) There is no gain. Um, Maybe his list of failures has just made you think there's nothing in this life but toil and trouble. Um, But let me say this. There is much more to Ecclesiastes than what you're reading in just these first 11 verses. Philip Ryken in his commentary says this. Here, it is critically important to understand the preacher's purpose. There is a reason why he wants us to feel the full weight of the weariness and futility of life under the sun. He wants us to fear that this could be true. He wants us to face the appalling inference that nothing has meaning and nothing matters under the sun. This is not the whole story, however. Remember that this is only the way things are if we look at them under the sun. Where do we experience life's futility and frustration? Everywhere in the world, wherever the sun shines. To see life under the sun, my friends, is to only view it from the road. That's what the preacher is letting you know. But this is not the only way to look at life, as we will later see in Ecclesiastes. Because there is a God who is in heaven and who rules over the sun and the water and the wind and human life. There is a God in heaven who rules. And that is point two, the satisfaction of laboring for Christ. The weariness of toil under the sun is the preacher's view of life under the sun. But there is the satisfaction of laboring for Christ. Again, Philip Ryken says this. He says, The reason the preacher shows us the weariness of our existence, making us more and more disillusioned with life under the sun, is so that we will not expect to find meaning and satisfaction in earthly things, but only in God himself. Now let me ask you this. Are, are you disillusioned about something? Are you disillusioned about the way your life has turned out? About the way your job has turned out? About the way your health has turned out? Are you disillusioned about the church? Are you disillusioned with God? Let me, let me offer this. If you're disillusioned, it's maybe because you've believed in an illusion all along. Your view has not been from above. Your view has been from below. To be disillusioned is to believe in an illusion. So if you're disillusioned, something is amiss in the way you see life. You see it under the sun. Listen, our culture, the world we live in, it it never delivers what it enticingly promises. Ever. It's Enticements are powerful and they are pleasurable and they are subtle and they do tempt us to follow a path of least resistance. Each step that we take in its direction is one step closer to sin and and eventually to a place where we accept sin as normal. That's 
viewing life under the sun. This has been the cycle of life since the fall of mankind in Eden. Men and women have been enslaved by sin. They've been broken by sin. They've been ravaged by sin. And yet they still choose to stay where they are because there's always this promise of something better. Which it never is. It's just around the corner. Just wait. That cycle would have remained unchanged if not for Jesus Christ. He lovingly intervened by joining us under the sun. Living with us under the sun. And defeating the cycle of death that we were in by his death on the cross. He took our punishment. He took our judgment so that we would be delivered from living under the sun and its ultimate end, eternal death and torment in hell. And if you are sitting here today wondering and believing maybe that life is meaningless, let me appeal to you to put your faith in Christ to not be a permanent resident of life under the sun, but to look to Christ. And if you're a believer who is seeing life as meaningless, let me encourage you to lift your view. We are Christians called to live for and to labor for Christ. And because we are in Christ, we've been given by the Holy Spirit the ability to see life from above. What a gift. What a, what a joy that is. The, the preacher has his view of life, but I want you to see life from God's view above the sun. Let's, let's talk about just the sun in Psalm 19.5. You don't need to turn there. I will just read it for you. Psalm 19.5. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Not with weariness, not hastening, not panting, but the sun under God runs its course with joy. That is God's handiwork. And in nature, the repetition we see in nature is actually a a testimony of God's goodness of how orderly our world is and how it shows the constancy of our creator. Psalm 104, and if you don't have to turn there as well. I can just read it for you. Psalm 104.3. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds and ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down. You set the boundaries on and on. The Lord's handiwork. Brothers and sisters, grace changes everything. God's grace revealed in Jesus Christ is poured out upon us each day 
for what each day truly is. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And Jeremiah in, in Lamentations says it best for us. He said, His mercies are new every morning. So each day that we awake is not a day of meaninglessness or empty toil or hopelessness or despair or life under the sun. Each day His mercies are new every morning. Each day grace changes everything. Each day God is in control constantly watching over and ruling and ordering every day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The scriptures go on to promise that one day, listen, everything is going to be new. Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. He says there's nothing new under the sun. Oh, yes, there is. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Ezekiel 36, he gives us a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And Revelation 21, 5. Behold, I am making all things new. Is there something new under the sun? Oh, yes, there is. In Christ, everything has been made new. And in 2 Peter, the scriptures go on to promise that God will make for us a new heaven and a new earth. Life frustrations will not last forever. This life is not our final existence, my friends. We were made for a better world. The the very fact that we are weary in life (laughs) is, is pointing us to the only God who can satisfy the needs that we have to satisfy our soul. So here's my application. If you're weary, ask yourself, am I like the Dead Sea, always accumulating but never being filled? In other words, am I always trying to satisfy my life with other things, with, with toys and trips and an and accumulation of, of wealth and relationships and on and on and on? What am, I, what am I striving after? What am I trying to accumulate? And am I like the Dead Sea? It just keeps coming in and I never, never get filled. In my verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. How many movies can I see? And the ears are not satisfied with hearing. They're never filled. So if you're weary, ask yourself, am I like the Dead Sea? Always accumulating. Luke twelve fifteen. Jesus comments. He says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Secondly, if you're weary, ask yourself, Where do I look for meaning? Obladi, oblada, life goes on. Where do I look for meaning? For the younger generation, that would be the Beatles. 
1969, thank you. If you're weary, ask yourself, where do I look for meaning? Listen, moms cleaning the house only to see the repetition of having to clean it up day after day after day, the same thing again and again. Or fighting an illness or a disease that only seems to get worse day after day. Or praying and reading God's Word yet feeling as though God is nowhere to be found day after day after day. Men laboring at your jobs wondering if it has any real meaning in this life. Day after day. Let me share with you one final passage that I think really sums it all up so well. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, brothers and sisters, your labor, moms, your work at home is not in vain. Dads, going to the office is not in vain. Serving here on a Sunday morning is not in vain. Giving your life away for Christ is not in vain. Sharing the gospel with somebody is not in vain. Giving on a Sunday morning is not in vain. In vain. Serving those in need in this church is not in vain. Oh, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing, have confidence in God that knowing in Him, in Christ, your labor is not in vain. Douglas Sean O'Donnell. We'll end with this. In his commentary in Ecclesiastes says this. In the small book of Ecclesiastes, we will discover a great God who brings rock-solid meaning to everything under the sun by means of His Son. We will discover that He brings meaning to our work, learning, possessions, and pleasures. We will discover that He will bring meaning to the world's accidents, injustices, oppressions, absurdities, and evils. Why? Because our labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving hope and meaning to our lives and our labor. Thank you that we find that all in Christ who died for us and rose again and has given us all things new. Lord, may we see life from above and not from the road. Help us, Lord, to to live that way for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.